You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our life crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Micah Beckwith. Well, good morning, Life Church. How are you this morning? It's good to see you. Welcome. Oh man, it's starting to look like fall. If you're like me, I love the fall weather and uh, it's just, it, you know, bonfires and, and we had our trunk or treat yesterday. How many of you were here for trunk or treat? Yes, it was great. We had some amazing trunks, uh, lots of candy. I woke up this morning, came out, the TV was on. <clears throat> I thought Susan was already up. I walk out into the living room. My two little kids, a six-year-old and four-year-old, were sitting on a couch watching TV with their candy all around them. <laughs> And I, and I said, are you guys eating candy? And they're like, no. <laughs> I was like, I think you might be. And at seven o'clock in the morning, this is not okay, guys. So, um, but, but anyway, we, we just, yeah, we sugared up the whole community. So it was great. But uh, I'm Pastor Micah. I'm the Noblesville campus pastor. And um, today, uh, you know, we are, we're diving into 2 Samuel uh, chapter uh, 15. And if you're new here, we are, we've been looking all throughout last year and this year. We've been in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. We've been seeing how God's hand is on the, his chosen people, but his chosen people have to stay within the context of, of his umbrella of blessings for there to be prosperity. And, and Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel in 1 Samuel, we saw he walked away from God's, God's word. He walked away from God's law and it brought destruction. In 2 Samuel, we see now that David has come up, God has raised him up. And the first 10 chapters, I've said it before, were David's triumphs because he was walking in the ways of the Lord and God was blessing him. And then chapters 11 and 12, David does some really wicked actions. He takes another man's wife uh, for his own. He kills that man. Uh, and, and the Lord is very angry with David. And it, David's transgressions then in chapter 11 and 12 lead to the rest of the book of 2 Samuel, chapters 13 on, and on, and we see David's troubles. And so if you're new here, we just go right through the word of God and we say, hey, here's, here's what happened in these characters of the faith. Here's what they did that God was pleased with. Here's what they did that God wasn't pleased with. Now apply it to your own life. And we tell you what God says about things because that's what's important. It's not really what, it doesn't really matter what I say or what Nathan says or what any other pastor or staff member here at Life Church says. It matters what God says. And so we dive into the word. And the word of God is, is this amazing, it's this amazing gift that he has given us, the law, so that we can have protection and benefits from this. And a lot of times I'm hearing more and more people are saying that some scripture, Micah, is, is not, we can't really trust the validity of that scripture. We can't trust that it, it was really perfect. And here at Life Church, we say, no, the word of God is perfect. It's inerrant. There's no air to it. It's God breathed. It's exactly what 2 Timothy says in 3.16. Paul is writing this to Timothy and he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Amen. And, and some people will say, well, it's been translated. It's been it's been." Uh, flawed men have, have been the ones behind it. How can you know that it's really from God? And my response is, is God not powerful enough to give us his perfect word by using flawed people? Do you think it takes perfection for God to do anything? No, it doesn't. No, I think you have to go back to the original writings and make sure that there are some translations out there that aren't good. You need to be wise and discerning. But I believe what we have in the written word is truly a gift from God given to us for our protection and for our benefit. It's inspired by God. So we need to latch onto it. We need to hold, it, hold fast to it. It is the rock upon which we stand. Even our founders knew this to be true. Uh, Andrew Jackson said that the, the, the rock upon which our republic rests is the word of God. Because why, why is it a rock? Rocks don't move when the waves come. Rocks don't move when the, word, when the, when the winds start blowing. Rocks stay put. And you can see if I told you, if I could, I just wish I had a time machine for many reasons, but this is probably the main one. But I, the, I would love to go back 25 years from, uh, from, uh, ago. And you'd be like, 25 years, why? Because I want to go into the schools of our nation and say, hey, in 25 years from now, you're going to be teaching little boys that they can be little girls and little girls that they can be little boys. And I would love to see the expression on even some of the most anti-God people in that day. They would have said 25 years ago, no way, no way. There is no way we're going to do that. 
But yet, here we are. And why is that? Because the winds of culture blow, right? But the word of God stays. So we aren't, we aren't, I'm not more extreme than I was 20 years ago. I'm not more extreme than I was, you know, 40 years ago. I was, I was one when I was 40 years, 40 years ago, right? <laughs> I feel like I've just stayed put on the word of God. And as culture goes further this way, people say, wow, you're really getting extreme. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm staying right here. I have not moved. You have moved. I have not moved. And that's going to be seen as more and more extreme as we go. But why? But what do we do? We say, nope, it's God breathed and we don't move from it. So, uh, in James, we see that James says this, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and then goes away and at once he forgets what he was like. He looks at, he looks at himself and he says, oh man, look at that, that's amazing. He walks away and he's like, I don't remember. But... The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and, pers and perseveres, being no, no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I love this, the law of liberty. You know, if, if you've been here when Pastor Rob McCoy from Turning Point Faith has come to speak, he often uses a, a phrase, he says this, he says, the law is the wise restraints that keep men free. Think about that for a second. The laws are the wise restraints that keep men free. Many times people think that the law is checks, uh, and it's a checklist of do this and don't do that. Well, it kind of can be sometimes, but why is it there in the first place? It's to protect freedom. If we had no law in our nation, what would happen? There would be no freedom. You might think, oh my gosh, there's no law, everyone's free. No, that would lead to anarchy. And guess what would happen? The strong would survive and the weak would die. The strong would survive and the weak would die. Just like what we saw in Israel a few weeks ago, this horrible thing that took place by Hamas. They came in, they were stronger than those that they came to, and they destroyed the weak. Now, for the life of me, I, I can't understand why somebody who doesn't believe in God, an atheist, or somebody would have a problem with what Hamas did because they are going off of a philosophy called Darwinism. There's only two ways that we all got here. It's either through Darwinism or through a creator. That's it. You have to pick one of the two. There's no, there's no other ways. Darwinism says that the weak will die and the strong will, will thrive. And if you're a Darwinist, if you don't believe in God, then why is it wrong when we just act like the animal kingdom? Because I've watched those, those documentaries on Animal Planet, and you see that lion getting ready to pounce on that little you know, Arctic fox. <laughs> I've used this one before, obviously, right? Uh, no, and <laughs> no, but you see that lion getting ready to pr like to, pr to, to jump upon, to jump on this little cute little gazelle. And, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's a trap. Get out of there, gazelle. Get out, get out of there. They're, it's coming for you. And it, it rips the gazelle to shreds. That's what, it, that's, what, that's what the animals do. So why are we different though? Why do we look at what happened and we look at Israel and, this, and this, this atrocity that's happened and we say, that is wicked. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus, he said, good master, good rabbi. And Jesus looks to him and he says, why do you call me good? There is no one good but God. Now that's the philosophical bomb that Jesus just dropped. He's saying, if there is no God, there is no good. But if there is good, then there has to be a God. How do you know that God? How do you know what God says about good? It's in his word. And that's why we dive into it. So let me pray for us. And we're going to jump into this passage here. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, for being a good God, for being the God who has set up for us the right and the, and the right ways and the standards in which we should go. Lord, I ask in the mighty name of Jesus, you would open our hearts and our minds to receive from you today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Okay, so I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm losing my voice just a hair. So I've, I've got this little concoction here. It's, uh, it's throat coat tea, apple cider vinegar. Uh, it's a Ricola and some honey, and it tastes like feet. So I'm just going to tell you right now. <laughs> just going to tell you, if I have to take a swig and I have this weird look on my face, it's because it's awful and I hate what's going into my, my mouth at that moment. So, uh, but I... <laughs> But you guys, you guys are lucky. You came in the second service. By, by this time, next service, they aren't going to be able to understand a word coming out of my mouth. So, uh, you know, all right. So David knew God's word, just as we had said, he, he would go back to the word. 
But he was kind of like what James was describing. He was the one who would walk away and forget, or he would just flat out disobey. And again, this is why we see all of the bad things starting to happen. Now, David had a son. His name was Absalom. And we saw here in, um, we saw the, the story last week was that Absalom was, was coming back into the kingdom. And I'm going to get into the history of Absalom and David just for people who are joining us new for the first time. But Absalom is back in the kingdom. He's living with his dad now under his reign again. But Absalom has a lot of offense. Absalom has a lot of bitterness. And what that's going to lead to is a big time conspiracy that's going to cause the, the foundations of the nation to be shake, shaken to its core. David forgot, I think, the word of God or didn't do what the word of God was because I think David started getting lazy and complacent. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate on it day and night. What's that saying? He's saying go back to the law, that the wise restraints that keep men free and meditate on them day and night. Look to what the Lord says about how we should do things and, and study it. Never forget it. Continue to teach your children it. Understand what God is saying and you will be free. You will be blessed. But those who forget it, turmoil will come. So we see that turmoil now is happening in David's life. And after this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. Picking it up here in, verse, in chapter 15, verse 1. So Absalom... Remember, he has come back, just as I said, he's come back into the kingdom. He's been staying with his grandfather for the last four years uh, in, uh, in, the northern king, in the kingdom up in the northeast called Geshur. And we'll get into that just a little bit more here. But now he's back. Now his father, his grandfather was not an Israelite. His grandfather was not a godly man. But he, he wants to start looking like his grandfather more than like his father. Now, this is an important verse. He came and he, he got himself horses and men. In Israel, kings were not to ride on horses, they were to ride on donkeys. So when Jesus came in for Passover week, in the Holy Week, and he was, he was going to be crucified, what did he come riding in on? On a donkey. All the way back to the first king of Israel, God had mandated that the kings would ride on donkeys. This was a sign of being humble. This was a sign of humility. The, the kings from all other countries, they would, they would come in on majestic uh, stallions and, and horses, and, and they, would, they would ride through the city, and they would say, I am your Lord, you will serve me. But in God's, in God's universe, in God's governance, God says, I am, your, I am the leader, I am the king, but I am here to come and be a servant leader to those I, I am ruling over. Jesus was a servant leader. If you're in leadership, you should always be riding in on donkeys. You should always be riding in on, on, on humility, if you will. When God raises leaders up, that's actually a big responsibility. It's not for you to rule over people. It's for you to serve people even more so. I mean, parents know this. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many parents say, oh, I'm so glad I have kids because they do everything for me. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, we laugh because it's like, yeah, right, you know. I, I had kids and now I'm doing everything for these little, you know, minions running around my house and think that they're the king. And it's like, they're kind of like cats, like the difference between dogs and cats. You know what I'm saying? Like a dog thinks you're king, a cat thinks they're king, right? You know, that's the difference, right? And so, so if you are a cat person, you understand servant leadership, okay? So uh, <laughs> I am a dog person. I've always been a dog person. No offense, cat people, but I like dogs. Absalom was looking more like his grandfather and less like his father. Now, Absalom's grandfather was a man named Talmai, and he was the king of Geshur, and, and his daughter was Ma'akah, and Ma'akah was the wife of David. And we'll get into her in just a second. But real quick, just so you guys can see, this is the uh, ancient map of Israel. So you got the Sea of Galilee up north, and you got the Dead Sea down south. Right now, what, you know, all the fighting that's going on is Gaza, which is right down here. You'll see a lot of reporting happening from Eshkelon, but this is an ancient map, but we still refer to a lot of these cities from uh, the same as what we did uh, thousands of years ago. But we see up here uh, the Sea of Galilee, and the northeast of Galilee is where Gesher was. So Gesher would have been right up in this area, just to the northeast of the Sea of Galilee. So that's where Absalom would have gone. Now, uh, Talmai had a daughter, Maacah, like I said, and, and that would have been Absalom's mother, but she would have been considered in the Israelite community or in the tribe of, of uh, the Jewish people, in Eshat Yophat Toar. 
Now, what that means is it, she would have been seen as a trophy of war. So uh, this, this happened, Deuteronomy lays it out. If you go to Deuteronomy, I believe it's chapter 21, you can see um, what the men of Israel were to do if they ever took, if they ever took women from, from foreign nations that they went to war with and captured, okay? Now, please hear me. This is not because God said it's okay. This is God understanding a fallen, broken world and putting in boundaries so people don't go off the crazy cliff of stupid, right? That's really what's happening. It's not that God wanted this to happen, but if you go to Deuteronomy 21, it says this. It says that if an if a Israelite goes to war and sees a woman of the foreign nation and they beat the nation and he wants to take her as his wife, well, there's a couple things here. In, those, in, the, in, the, in the cultures, the pagan cultures, they would treat them as slaves. God didn't want that to happen. He didn't want you to go into a, uh, a nation and, and go to war with an, your enemy, but then take their people as their slaves and treat them the way that the pagan nations would treat them. Slaves had no rights. Slaves were treated very poorly in the pagan cultures. The Lord said, hey, you're going to go to war. You're going to have to conquer people because there's evil people out there. You're, this is going to happen. But if and when you take a woman to be your bride from one of these nations that you go to war with, this is how I want you to treat her. And so he lays out a way for them to treat her. And, and it, it's a protection. And he says, if, if you don't want her, she has to come into your house for a month. She has to shave her head. She's got to trim her nails. She's got to put on sackcloth and ashes. And she's got to be with you for a month. And after that, if you still are attracted to her and you want to take her as your wife, you can. But if you don't, you're not allowed to sell her. You have to give her her freedom and you have to let her go. So the Lord was putting boundaries on for the, for the people of Israel because he knew how, how wicked cultures would get. And he didn't want these foreign nations to be mistreated, even though that they were at war with his, with his people. So it's, it's kind of the rules of warfare, essentially. It's like God's rules of warfare. But David goes to war with Geshur and he sees this woman and he takes this woman to be his trophy, right? Now, I say all of this only to give you the context of probably what's going through Absalom's mind. Remember, Absalom had a, had a sister, a, a, a full sister, who was also the daughter of David and Maacah, and her name was Tamar. And Absalom's half-brother, Amnon, raped Tamar. This is how we all got into this drama. This is how all of this started happening right now. So you have Tamar, Absalom's beloved sister, getting raped by one of his half-brothers, and David does nothing. You go to Geshur, and you live with your grandfather, the king, the king Talami, and he tells you, my daughter was, taking, was taken as a trophy by David in war. All of this to say, it's kind of easy to understand how Absalom could have hated his father. You can see all of this offense welling up and this bitterness welling up. And Absalom saying, man, dad, you are a terrible dad. You are a horrible dad. Ah, oh, I, I am so done with you. And boy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something about this. And that's where we find ourselves in verse 2. And this is what Absalom does. Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a, a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, from what city are you? And when he said, your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, see, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Mm. Hey, you've got a really important issue, but unfortunately, dad hasn't, he doesn't care. He hasn't set anybody up to deal with this. But... Oh, that I would be the judge of the land, Absalom would say. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me and I would give him justice. Oh, I, I so, I feel your pain. I understand the plight of the people. If I was in power, you wouldn't be having any of these problems. Now in ancient Israel, every morning, the court took place at the city gate. Now a gate, it's not a gate like the way that you wouldn't necessarily think of a gate. It's probably more of a building structure. But the elders of the land would come into the, the city gate and they would hear all of the court cases and they would rule on these court cases. It was their modern judicial system. Again, set up all the way back in the time of Jethro and Moses back in the wilderness. The Israelites were still following a lot of what, what was laid out. And so, and by the way, our founders in America actually took the most quoted book that they referred to when setting up our republic was the Bible, and the most quoted book of the Bible that they referred to when they were quoting the Bible was the book of Deuteronomy, because it all goes back to setting up civil government. 
And so a lot of this was happening within, within uh, Israel. And so here's Absalom. He positions himself in a place where he could take advantage of people's problems. Now, you may be thinking, gosh, I know a lot of these people that do this right now. And hold, hold that thought because we're going to get into that in a second. Verse 5, it says, whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and he would take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Here's what Absalom was. He was a fantastic politician. I mean, he was. You think about every political ad you see on TV right now. It is like, you have a problem and praise the Lord, I'm here to help. <laughs> right? Now, Ronald Reagan had a great saying. He said, the nine most dangerous and scary words in the English language are, I'm with the government and I'm here to help. Right? So if you think that the government or someone in the government can help you, don't be fooled. No, that's not usually how it works. Okay? So when you see these ads and say, hey, boy, I, I want to... I'm going to reach out my hand. I'm going to kiss you and I'm going to understand your plight. I'm going to come and just, oh, I can't believe that's happening. But boy, if I was in power, it wouldn't be happening. Now, that's not to say there aren't good people in, in politics or good people in government who really do have a servant's heart. But when you see these ads, I want you to, do, as we're getting close to this election season and also next year, you're going to see more and more ads. I want you to just come back to this story and I want you to say, okay, I need discernment. Is this person trying to be an Absalom or is this person really got a servant leader's heart and really wants to serve? Because I remember in 2007, 2008, there was a great message about hope and change. <laughs> hope and change, right? Now, again, President Barack Obama uh, is a fantastic orator. I mean, he is a great communicator. I would say Ronald Reagan was was the greatest. I would say Barack Obama is right up there with him if I had to put uh, orators next to each other. But the problem with Barack Obama's message, and I remember thinking this in 2007 and 2008, I'm like, okay, hope and change is great, but what are we changing to? No one would ever give me details. And that's what Absalom's doing here. He's saying, oh, I would definitely rule in your favor. Well, how would you rule in my favor? What are the details of what that hope is you're bringing? Those are the questions that we need to ask as people here in this nation. What are the details? I love the idea of hope. We should always have hope through Jesus Christ. It's not coming through any government. It's through Jesus. But when people say we should, get, we should change, like question them on that. Say, hey, listen, what's the change you're bringing? Because I would argue that the change that did come was leading us more away from our foundations and off the cliff of radicalism. But it was change. And he wasn't wrong. <laughs> so Absalom was good at flattery. And I think that's, that's what you see here. People, when someone flatters, you just understand flattery is dishonest praise. It's coaxing speech. Now, when we come into service here, I want to highlight something, what we do. When we, when we lift up shouts of praise, Sunday morning starts with a, the worship team giving God the glory and you giving God, God the glory. Why do we do that? Because scripture tells us that we should enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise or honest praise. You're not coming into God's presence on Sunday morning saying, God, I'm praising you because I want something. That's what Absalom did. That's dishonest praise. You're coming in and you're saying, God, you are worthy of my praise no matter what I'm going through right now, no matter what the world is throwing at me, you alone are worthy of praise. I'm going to give it to you. Amen. That is what we should be doing every Sunday morning. That's how you should start your day. Anytime I pray with my family, I always start by giving God thanksgiving and praise. And then I bring my petitions and my supplications and my prayer requests to him. But Absalom is the opposite. He's the demonic version of what God is calling us to be. Honest people of praise, people who give honest praise, not for your own gain, but because it's somebody deserves it. You know, when you go to your child, you're not flattering them, you're giving them honest praise when they do something good. Because if someone finds out that you are a flatterer, they're never gonna believe anything that you say ever again. But Absalom is doing a great job of flattering the people with dishonest praise. Proverbs talks about this many times over. Proverbs 26, a lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruins. Proverbs 27, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Nathan will use this one. Pastor Nathan uses this passage all the time. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That means that sometimes your friends are going to say things that you don't like to hear. And your friends should be saying things that you don't like to hear. And it hurts. It leaves a wound. 
But faithful are those wounds because they will lead to life. They will lead to betterment. They will lead to your blessings. But those who kiss you with flattery, those are enemies and they are profuse. Whoever rebukes a man in Proverbs 28 will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Proverbs 29, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Now, I was thinking about flattery and I was like, okay, what what would be a good illustration for flattery? And it came to me, there's this old, old, super old, really, really old TV show, okay, uh, that maybe, and if I just offended everyone when you see what this is, I, please forgive me right now. Uh, faithful are the wounds of a friend, okay? So, <laughs> you call me old. <laughs> We're all young in the grand scheme of eternity. I just want you to know that, right? Okay? <laughs> Moses, Moses is looking at you guys right now being like, you guys are just babies. All right? So just remember that. All right. But there was this character in one of these shows that was just the king of flattery, the king of just saying what he thought the person wanted to hear so he could get in good with that person. So check it out and see if you remember this. Eddie Haskell. Seems like a nice kid. I don't know. Just don't trust a 13-year-old boy that's that polite. You call me mom? Yes, Wally. Good morning, Mrs. Cleaver. That's a very pretty dress. Thank you. Hi, Mrs. Cleaver. Gee, that's a nice sweater. (laughs) Thank you, Eddie. How do you do, Mr. Cleaver? Gee, Mrs. Cleaver, you even look pretty in an apron. (laughs) Thank you very much, Eddie. Gee, your kitchen always looks so clean. Well, thank you, Eddie. My mother says it looks as though you never do any work in here. <laughs> oh? Gee, Mrs. Cleaver, you sure do look nice. <laughs> My mother says you must spend all of your time in the beauty shops. Hi, Dad. Bye. Hi, Mr. Cleaver. You're doing a real neat job there. Thank you very much, Eddie. Come on, Eddie. Gee, that sure is a neat looking apron. Yeah, thank you, Eddie. Oh, that's a very nice photograph. Gee, that's a very nice cake, Mrs. Cleaver. Well, thank you. It almost looks like you bought it in a store. That smells delicious. Whatever it is. <laughs> Good night, Mr. Cleaver. Good night, Mrs. Cleaver. Good night, little fellow. Good night, Eddie. Oh, Lord, wouldn't it be nice when the semester changes on Monday if Eddie ended up in a different homeroom from Wally? Yeah. Or in a different state. <laughs> I love that last one. Good night, little fellow. If you know this, if you've ever watched that, he's a, like, Eddie Haskell is a rascal. Like, he does not treat Beaver that way. He would never call Beef, uh, Beef a little fellow, right? He was always, you know, kind of giving him a hard time. But when people are around that he thinks, you know, he needs to act a certain way around, he goes to flattery. Flattery is, has been around for ages. It's been, even in the Garden of Eden, the serpent had a tongue of flattery towards Eve. Just the idea of like, hey, you could be like God. That's how amazing, that's the potential you have in you. This is the devil's way to do it. And if if you're going to see here, Absalom will will pull people. He'll steal people away from from his father in the kingdom. And you look at even going all the way back to when Lucifer, he was was, uh, rebelling against God in, in the heavens. It says he took a third of the angels with him. How do you think that occurred? Exactly like what we're seeing in Absalom. He, it's, it's how every church split happens. It's how every business has to, why businesses go into arbitration. It is why, it's why nations have, have uh, just wars, civil wars break out. It's because it starts from a place of somebody who has bitterness and they go into a place of, I could do it better and you deserve better because you're awesome. As a spirit of flattery, it's the spirit of offense that is destroying the nation of Israel. But it's gone all the way back from the beginning of time. So in verse 7, at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, please let me go and pray my vow, which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed while I lived in Geshur in Aram, saying, if the Lord would indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. So now this is Absalom. He's saying to King David, he's saying, he's saying, Father, when I was in Geshur living with my grandfather, I prayed that the Lord would bring me back to Israel. Remember, it wasn't David's exile on Absalom that led Absalom to Geshur. Absalom went there on his own. It was a self-imposed exile. He just ran away from home. 
is what he did. But now he's making it sound like, oh, I was praying for the time to come back. I wanted to be back. And would you just let me go and worship in Hebron where I was born? And the king said to him, go in peace. So he arose and he went to Hebron. Now, Hebron is very, very uh, strategic for two reasons. One, Absalom was born there. Absalom probably had a lot of friends in Hebron. Remember, beginning of Absalom's life, Israel was split in a civil war. You had the north of Israel and you had the south. And the Lord led David up to reign first and foremost in Judah, which was the southern part of the nation. And the capital of Hebron or of Judah was Hebron. And then when the Lord reunited Israel into one nation under David's leadership, David then moved the capital from Hebron to Jerusalem. So this was very shrewd on Absalom's part. Now, the scriptures don't say this, but I can imagine this is probably why he did this. If If you're the people who have been with David from the very beginning when he was fighting Saul, and David is in your hometown, and you, the people of Hebron, are standing with, and the people of Judah are standing with God and David, and then David wins, and the Lord reunites all of Israel, and then David says, hey guys, I am now leaving, and I'm going up to where our enemies used to reign and rule from, and I'm setting up the capital in Jerusalem now. Imagine what that would probably do to the people of Hebron. They'd probably be a little ticked. It's kind of like your, your, uh, your fair weather fans. Like how many of you are um, Cleveland Browns fans? Okay, good. There's nobody foolish in here. All right, good. Um, <laughs> but they're having a halfway decent season finally, right? They're, and granted, we'll see how it goes. But now I'm starting to see more people wearing Cleveland Browns fan, uh, hats and shirts around here. I'm like, Where, you guys weren't part of the Cleveland team. Like you weren't, you, I don't even know what they call them, the, the, the bulldogs, the pit bull, the, the dog pit, whatever it is you guys do. Like, I don't know. I am a Lions, doghouse, yes. I am a Lions fan, okay? I'm a Lions fan and they're having a halfway decent year this year, right? And I'm starting, I was flying out to California a few weeks ago and I was literally in Minneapolis and I saw people wearing Lions jerseys and hats. And I'm like, you guys are posers, man. Now, I didn't say that to him. It was Minneapolis. I didn't want to get shot. So um, I, I thought that to myself. But that's probably what the strategy or that of Absalom was, to go to the people of Hebron who probably feel a little abandoned by David and say, geez, isn't that just bad news when dad moved the capital up to Jerusalem? Really, the capital should have been here the whole time. You guys were the ones that were faithful to him. And he's kind of abandoned you, hasn't he? That's the strategy I think is going on here and why he wants to go to Hebron. But Absalom then sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. Okay, so now he's at Hebron. Did anybody make Absalom king at Hebron? No. So what Absalom is using is something that we see in our culture all the time, but praise God to know we're not the only ones dealing with this the first time in history. It's been going back to the time of Absalom and even all the way back to the beginning of creation. It's this concept of fake news, okay? (laughs) Fake news is pushing this conspiracy of a coup d'etat. It's pushing division, it's pushing destruction, and it's all built around a lie. Now, our founders knew that this could easily happen, so they put into our Bill of Rights excuse me, they put into our Bill of Rights, the First Amendment has five freedoms in it. I want to highlight one of those freedoms, but let's just see. I'm going to test you all here. What are those five freedoms? Okay, what's the first one? Uh, No, people always say freedom of speech. That's the second one. What's the first one? Freedom of religion. Okay, I just think the most important one is, okay, the freedom of religion. Okay, so we have freedom of religion, freedom of speech. Okay, skip over the third, because that's the one I'm going to highlight. What's the fourth? Freedom of, I think I heard someone say, assembly. Okay, you could peacefully assemble, you know, kind of like, hey, Jim, uh, we've got a mostly peaceful protest behind me right now. Right, remember those? (laughs) Remember that? Okay, right? So freedom to assemble peacefully. And then the fifth fifth one is freedom to petition. Good job, running for office. Darren, right there, it's good. You need to know these things, right? He's running for mayor in Carmel, so you better know these, all right? Were you in, you were in here first service, weren't you? Okay, all right, good. (laughs) All right. So let's go back to the third, the third. What is the third? Freedom of the press. Freedom of the press is so important. And the purpose of freedom of the press is to protect truth, which will then birth freedom. 
Our founders knew this. If, and here's what, they were, here's what they knew to be true. They knew God's word. Remember I said it was the Bible is the most referenced book that the founders went to? What does God's word say about truth and freedom? John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But you have to know the truth. Knowledge of the truth is what leads to freedom. You gotta have people who are out there pushing truth and not lies. Because if people don't know the truth, Hosea 4, 6 says this, my people perish or are destroyed for lack of knowing, lack of knowledge. Fake news is destructive because you, if you don't know truth, then you will perish. That is God's word. And what Absalom is doing, whether he knows it or not, and I think he probably does, if he can spin a lie, he can divide the kingdom, destroy his father's house and take leadership himself. That's what's going on here. Now, as I was looking for the Eddie Haskell clips and stuff like that, I was looking at some old you know, ads and, and I came across what, what maybe we would think of as fake news today. Now, I, wanna, I just wanna highlight some of these ads because now fake news is maybe someone telling a blatant lie, but it can also be just false news. It could be somebody that un, unknowingly is pushing a lie. So there's multiple aspects of fake news. Now, a lot of these ads that you're gonna see here, I think people just were ignorant. They were naive. However, Hosea 4, 6, my people perish for lack of knowledge. God doesn't excuse ignorance. He doesn't say, it's just because you're ignorant, I'm gonna give you a pass. He says, no, you died because you were dumb. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, and he's like, I love you, but you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I was just, I, I, I remember times talking to my parents when I would go skiing and I'd like to do extreme skiing. And there would be times I feel like where they were thinking that they were like, okay, well, we love you, but if you die, it's because you were dumb, right? Like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know, I'd go jump off a mountain somewhere. So, uh, but that, that's kind of, I think, sort of the Lord's kind of response sometimes. It's like, guys, you have to be knowledgeable. I don't give you a pass just because you didn't know. So here's some, here's some, uh, some pictures I thought were kind of funny. So first one was uh, Vaseline. So Vaseline, apparently you could eat it. Now, is there anybody in the room that still eats Vaseline? We will pray for you after service. We'll lay hands on you and cast out those demons, okay? All right. Now, I don't know why you would eat it, but apparently if you were struggling with your skin complexion, you could also eat arsenic wafers. <laughs> yeah, arsenic wafers for a glowing skin and a wonderful youthful look. That's what it says. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it's hilarious. Now that, okay, we probably look at that and we're like, man, that's crazy. But now if you, you know, if you're just like, I just care about my health, um, eat a lot of butter, okay? So nutrition tip. Butter is slippery. That's why we eat as much as possible to lubricate our arteries and veins. <laughs> Listen, okay, again, <laughs> Elijah's like, praise the Lord, man. That's not fake news. That's truth. Okay, I have to think, I, I literally have to think, this is how the angels look at us sometimes, right? They're like, they think they can, like, they think they can do that thing. Like, he thinks a little boy can be a little girl. Oh my gosh, you know what I mean? Like, like things like that where they have to be looking at us thinking, you guys are so dumb. And yeah, here we are, you know, like, you know, a couple years ago, I mean, this was probably 50 years ago, 60 years ago. I don't know. I don't know how old this is, but I think it was around that same time frame. But this is what they thought. Now, again, I think it was more ignorance and not pushing a lie, <clears throat> so please hear me, but it was still fake, it was still false. And it could, I don't know how many people died because of this, Elijah's going to, but you know. <laughs> but you don't wanna eat a lot of butter because it's not good for you. Um, okay, here, if you're, if you're pregnant, go, go smoke. <laughs> expectant mothers, the smooth taste expectant mothers crave, Nicorette or nico, nico, nico time, cigarettes. All right, um, if you'd like to start your child off good, give them a lot of soda, okay? So soda, for a better start in life, start cola earlier. And it says they will be more well-liked at school if you do that, if you read the fine print there. No joke. Now, if you happen to give your kid a toothache because all the butter and the soda that you're giving them, no worries, there are cocaine tooth drops, uh, or toothache drops. Cocaine, 
Yeah, it's great. Oh, wonderful. And so, again, fake news. Now, this one is going to get you killed if you're a man uh, giving your wife this on Christmas. Uh, for a happy Christmas morning, she'll be happier with, get her a Hoover, okay, right? Okay. Yeah, my, pe my people perish for lack of knowledge. All right. <laughs> radium makes things grow, a fertilizer that you can put in your yard. So radioactive material, put it in your yard, it'll make things grow. It's great, right? Yeah. Now, if you still need more, uh, we got a few more here. Uh, beer for the young and old. Uh, Gazoon tights, Grandpa. Yeah, so uh, beer, you know, wash it, you know, everyone, young and old, benefits to young and old. Oh, this is another one, guys, that will get you killed. The harder your wife works, the cuter she looks. <laughs> it's a vitamin ad. Okay, and the, the cartoon down here says this, gosh, honey, you seem to thrive on cooking, cleaning, and dusting, <laughs> and I'm all tuckered out by closing time. What's the answer? Vitamins, darling. I always get my vitamins, pet vitamins. So there we go. Yeah, you will get shot if you do that. So asbestos, the magical mineral. <laughs> Seriously, right? Oh my goodness. Okay. Uh, and then uh, really screen time is important for children. How television can benefit your children's development, right? Motorola. Okay, and then uh, I think we got one more. This is the dumbest one I've seen. Blow in her face and she'll follow you anywhere. <laughs> now, that had to be fake news all the time. There is nobody ever that believed that, okay? Like, you could think what you thought about cigarettes, but like, what, what guy would go up, smoke, puff some smoke into a lady's face, and the lady's like, oh, you had me. You had me right from the get-go. Oh, I'm so in love right now. Please, I think we all knew that was fake news. Now, I, I, on this note, I, I will say this. We, we actually have something cool going on here at Life Church. Um, we're starting a marketing uh, life group, a small group, and uh, Jean Craig, and I don't know if she's here. She was here first service. Um, but it, she, they're going to meet, uh, I think, Thursday, November 2nd. Uh, it's going to be uh, like a Zoom kind of online thing. She's a marketing professor at Indiana Wesleyan. She was an adjunct prof professor for years there. And, and she, she like understands how to communicate truth in a winsome way, in a way that actually catches people's, you know, attention. And so if you like to do that, sign up for that and, and, you know, you can grow in your marketing skills. It's kind of all levels and she'll walk you through that. But here's just an aspect of marketing to push an agenda, which is exactly what Absalom was doing. Marketing to push an agenda. And he didn't care if it was true or not. He knew it, it wasn't true. He knew he wasn't king, but yet he sent his messengers out to proclaim the fake news, and it very much shook the, the nation to its core. Now get this, <clears throat> and while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel the Gileonite. Now think about this for a second. When Absalom was offering the sacrifices, Absalom was sitting in church. He went to Hebron and acted like he was doing this godly mission, this godly thing. He was honoring God and all while knowing he was literally trying to undermine the things of God. And he sent for Ahithophel the Gileonite, David's counselor from the city of Gilo, and the conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom kept increasing. Now, this, this is important to understand who Ahithophel was. Ahithophel was one of David's trusted counselors, but Ahithophel was also the father of an important person in this whole saga. Anybody know who that was? He was the father of Bathsheba. <laughs> right, yeah, ooh. Okay, so why do you think, why do you think Absalom sat at the city gates? Because he knew where the offense was and he knew how to play on somebody's offense. Why do you think Absalom went to Hebron? Because he knew where the offense was and he knew how to play on somebody's offense. Why do you think he's going after Ahithophel? Because he knows there's a fence still there from years ago when David killed his son-in-law and took his daughter to be his own. Can you, see all, can you see how all of this was birthed out of somebody's heart of offense? And it led to a, 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 a terrible conspiracy to destroy what God had set up. And we're gonna see in the next few weeks that this is gonna lead to ultimate destruction for many people. But God, 
God stepped in and he promised David that he was going to give him a house that would have an eternal reign. But I'm telling you what, it wasn't for lack of trying on the devil's part because the devil got in and he put a debate of offense in somebody's hearts, in many people's hearts, in all this story. So my question is to you is what bait of offense have you taken? Have you taken the bait? Have you, have you put something in your heart and holding on to offense? Because if you have, it's going to lead to conspiracy. It's going to lead you trying to overthrow somebody or to kick somebody out or remove somebody from their position. And then maybe what offense is holding on to you? Because sometimes you want to get rid of it, but it just can't. It's got you in its clutches. There's two, there's two things going on here. Absalom was holding on to offense, but there were people at the city gate that I think were probably being held on to by offense. There were people in Hebron that really probably didn't want to have offense that were being held on to by offense. So where are you in this picture? We did a study a few years ago called The Bait of Satan by John Bevere. It was a powerful, powerful study. And John Bevere lays it out so well. He says, listen, the devil's bait to get you into his trap is offense. It always has been. It's offense that somebody has done something to you that is wrong. And that's not, it's not to say that you won't be wronged. You will be a victim, victimized at some point, but God is calling you out of victimhood. He's saying, you're not gonna live in victimhood. My children are conquerors. You don't have a right to hold on to offense because guess what? We put Jesus on the cross. Ultimately, you and I, every single person in this world deserve death because of our sin. And yet Jesus, the one who knew no sin and became sin for us, went to the cross and when he was hanging on the cross, we see, we see that he says this, he says this in verse 34 of Luke, uh, chapter 23, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He literally, the king of the universe came to save us and we put him there. You know, in the Passion of the Christ, I thought it was, pow it was a powerful movie. Obviously, obviously, we've probably all seen this or many of you have seen it. But there's a moment when you see the Roman soldier's hand nailing that first nail into Jesus's hand. It's just a picture of a Roman soldier's hand. Now, if you actually go back and study, you know whose hand that was? It was Mel Gibson's. Mel Gibson was the director. He was never in the movie except for that one spot. And he said, I had to be the one to do that because I'm the one who put Jesus there. He said, it was my sin. It was my failures that put him there. I wanted to be the one to hit that first nail into the hands of the son of God because he did it for me. If Jesus can say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, then there's nothing anyone can do or say to you that you should take the bait and hold on to the fence. And it's not easy. I'm not saying it's, it's gonna be a walk in the park, but practically speaking, one of the things that I have learned to do, and I trust me, there's, there's people that I just wanna go and give them the what for in my, in my world. And the Lord will always say, so Micah, you can either fight your battle on your own or you can get out of the way and let me fight it for you. Who do you think will do better? <laughs> and I'm like, ah, you will. And I say, Lord, but how? How do I fight this battle? And he says, just pray for them. And he says, do you know why? When you pray for them, Micah, it's gonna be impossible for you to hate them. And it's hard, I'm gonna tell you right now, it's hard to pray for those who persecute you. And trust me, I pray for them, but I, I mean, I don't spend a whole lot of time praying for them. I'll, I'll like, I'll just be a very quick prayer. I'll be like, Lord, I pray for this person. <laughs> and then I will say, this is what I typically do. If it's hard, if I'm struggling with it, I'll say, Lord, just reveal yourself to them and touch them. Reveal yourself to them and touch them. Because if they see you and you touch them, it'll change them. And then we will become brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and that's what I do. That's how I walk that, that road. So if you're in this place right now, we're gonna, you know, would the prayer team come down and we're just, we're gonna have the prayer team down here and I'm just gonna take a moment as the prayer team's down here, just bow your heads and close your eyes and just ask the Lord, say, Lord, what offense is in my heart right now? 
that is leading me down a path that looks more like Absalom and less like Jesus. And let him reveal that, let him bring it to the surface. And then I wanna give you just a couple minutes. I want you just to pray for that person. Now again, you don't have to pray amazing blessings over their life. You can if you're, if you're strong enough to do that, praise God. But just pray that the Lord would show up in their life. Just pray that they would see the Lord and that he would touch them. And then we're just gonna kind of leave this moment. And we're gonna kind of keep the piano music playing. And I'm gonna have the prayer team down here. And if you need extra prayer, if you need prayer warriors to intervene on behalf with you, then the prayer team will be here to pray with you all the way up until the next service. So take a moment, just in your own heart, begin to pray for those that maybe have offended you. by today's talk. Be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.